really lucky. We'll go straight to live on um, LinkedIn and everything else. When I you did say warn it. you all we were live on uh, LinkedIn, Periscope and uh, YouTube, didn't I? If, if I didn't warn you, it's too late now. You didn't realise Periscope was still going. Uh, it is just about. I don't think anyone uses it, though. Uh, but don't tell them I said that. <laughs> so that's so last year. Let's see. Right. So, first of all, I'd like to welcome you all. Yes, I dig my key out of my pocket. Um, welcome you all to the Security Coffee House. It's a very informal general chat about a topic that I decide I find interesting. And I mean, games and security are kind of my big two hot button topics. So with that out of the way, it is going to be very informal. There will be some questions, discussion, general chatter. First of all, I'm going to go clockwise round my screen. Uh, and ask you all to introduce yourselves. So, uh, Chris, if we start with you. Uh, hi, everybody. Uh, Chris Roberts, um, security researcher, geek, various other things, and currently having fun with one of the hounds that's down here. Uh, based out of Colorado, Hillbilly Hit Squad. Find me on Twitter and LinkedIn. There we go. That was easy. Okay, and Chloe, you're next. Hey, everyone. Um... My name is Chloe Mustagi. I'm the VP of strategy over at Point3 Security. When I'm not doing that, I'm also the founder of We Are Hackers, formerly known as Women Hackers, and co-founder of WOSEC, which is Women of Security. And when I'm not doing those things, I'm doing whatever I can to push for hacker rights. And I'm also obsessed with the brain. And so that's why I love gamification, is because of the brain and how it works. And Nick, you're up. Hi, my name's Nick Drage. I'm a cybersecurity strategist and war game designer. I have as much idea of what cybersecurity strategist means as you do, because it allows me to be flexible in what work I do and what services I can offer. And finally, Mark. And you're on mute. That's right. I just got a big sign that said that. Hey, Mark Miller here in New York City. I am the co-founder of All Day DevOps, which is the largest DevOps conference in the world. It's coming up with about 40,000 people live online. I also am the founder of DevSecOps Days, along with working for Sonatype as their senior storyteller and DevOps evangelist. And I'm James. I um, run this thing in as much as anyone runs this thing. Uh, it's fairly uncoordinated. I'm with Dida on that actually every time I say someone's on mute everyone does shots espressos are fine espressos are a shot <clears throat> just for Chris there right um, also Gamify is mentioned so that leads into the first question which is I have opinions on this so I'm going to stay very quiet until the end of the go round um, is there a difference between gamification and games and do they relate differently to security in particular? Uh, let's start with uh, Mark. Let's go the other way around this time. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when 
I think of gaming and when I think of games and gamification, what I think is how do we actually integrate what we're thinking about or what we're doing at any specific time into what we're working on. It's interesting that my wife uh, used to walk behind me when I said I was working and I, there'd always be some kind of game on the screen or there'd be something happening. She, you're, you're not working, you're just playing games all day. And then she started to see my presentations down the road and she's, oh, that's what you were doing. So what we're trying to do in my instance is if we can use gamification to get people engaged and interested in what we're trying to teach and what message we're trying to get across, then we can have fun doing it and get them much more engaged than you would with just general lectures. And Nick, I know you've got opinion on games, so. Uh... Oh, um, first of all, it, uh, my answer would be everything Mark said. Absolutely, like spot on. Uh, engaged is a word that's not used uh, has not has previously not been used often enough. Apart from that, your question, like, is there a difference? Uh, the answer is yes. But I, well, I would tell you what I think it is, but there's not a definitive answer yet. I don't think either field is well enough defined that you can differentiate between them. Therefore, when discussing them, especially like, for example, with a customer, you want to define them first. Otherwise, you might be talk You might find you're talking at cross purposes, but you find that out thirty minutes into the conversation. Okay, Chloe. I know you've spoken about gamification before, so I'm very interested in your answer to this one. Um, well, when it comes to the brain, gamification, if it's actually working right should be almost exactly like games in your brain and how you actually do everything in your, uh, basically in your temporal lobe, uh, which is where your gaming actually thrives and where it exists with your brain. And so the thing to note is that if the game is practicing some sort of problem solving, processing speed or attention span and memory, that is a game that is also the same as gamification. Gamification is all about using those type of skills um, in play to try to encourage participation and also for you to um, gain knowledge a lot faster. So yeah, it's pretty much the same one. It's, as long as the games themselves are doing some sort of like working with your memory, uh, timing or um, your ability to solve something, it's pretty much exactly the same. And Chris? I got the easy one here because I can just turn and say what Chloe said, what Mark said, uh, and we're in pretty much a good shape. Um, I wish I wish we could actually just keep the labels pretty freaking simple, to be perfectly honest, because at the end of the day, it's like, what is it going to take us to get our message out to everybody that's not on our island? Is it a game gamification? I don't care what the hell you call it, but we need to be able to do it. And for me, that's basically what Chloe said. It's like, how do we get people thinking how do we get people interacting right that's what it is don't care what you call it just do it i'm going to skip my answer and take the easy route out and say it's largely been covered um the only hey, thing i have is this yeah. can be interactive can we interrupt each other yes of course we can <laughs> yeah I've, I've got the mute button everyone else can interrupt each other that's nice one of, one of my good friends michael Wu, was the chief 
uh, scientist at Lithium for years. And one of the conversations that we got into is if we're doing this properly, um, people will not even know that gamification is going on. They just see it as part of the environment. And uh, I asked him to actually sketch something out for me as to how that would look. He said, well, let's think of it this way. Let's, everybody in the company is using Excel. And so if you want to gamify Excel, what you would do is whenever somebody created a new formula or some way, something that they added to their spreadsheet and nobody in the company had done it before, something would pop up and say, hey, you've discovered something new. You get 10 points and so you got your dashboard going. And so then what you would do is you would start to have people experimenting with the environment to see what was going on and how that gamification would drive the use of that platform in much more creative ways than the way that uh, people normally use it. Okay, I am going to throw my opinion in now, so I apologize to you all. Um, my view is very simple. They both, both gamification and games are heading towards the same end. The difference seems to be, and this is purely from what I've seen of both, gamification is applying game mechanics to a learning experience of some kind. Games is you have a game and you start applying learning mechanics to that. So it's just coming at the same thing from different directions. And the only reason I say that is because I've come across so many gamification platforms where frankly, I can game the system because I understand how the games work. So I can get to that high scoreboard and get the prize at the end because I understand how games work, not because I'm learning. So that's the only difference I see between the two. Ideally, they're both the same thing in the end, but I do think it's a difference in approach. Uh, and that is purely opinion, so it could be entirely wrong. But that's where so, I sit on it. Here's a thought on that one, and we run into this with training all the time. It's, you know, to that point, it's, uh, yeah, we probably all run into it. I remember sitting in front of a large audience going, okay, so how many of you do awareness training? Most people put their hands up. How often do you do it? Oh, once a year. Most people's hands up. Was it the same shit you did last year? Yes. Do you remember the questions? Yes. So you haven't learned shit. You just learned how to pass the test. Great. We failed. That to me would be an example of what you've done. You're gaming the system. Yep. Absolutely. Like, yeah. You, you kind of find that a lot in like those phishing ones, like the large companies roll out this phishing program. And so then you're just like going through this and then there's only two questions, which is like, how do you know this is a phishing email? And it's like the same one that they give every single year. So you've memorized it. It's nothing new. Um, I always advise people, if you can, uh, get permission, of course, beforehand um, to actually try fishing your colleagues in any way possible. So it keeps them on their toes. Um, don't do anything, you know, malicious, of course, but, you know, just to see who will click on the link, uh, because you'll find that those training programs usually don't work as well. I just assume out of the box that if I get a message from Chris Roberts, I'm being gamed. <laughs> click here i promise you know it is bad it is actually bad and chloe you, i mean you're probably in the same boat it's like everybody's like oh my gosh should i click the link that the hacker said well no shit because we're actually trying to do the right thing we're trying to help you if i wanted to fish you you wouldn't know exactly and the thing is that right now because of 
19, it makes it even easier than ever before. Because the thing is that usually when you're trying to fish someone, you look at their Instagram, their Twitter and whatnot, you're trying to get an idea of what are they passionate about, what makes them exciting and whatnot. But the thing is, everyone's passion is COVID-19 right now. We're all connected to COVID-19. So you can send out emails that are about COVID-19. Also the fact that you're not working in the office, uh, chances are like you could get a text message and it could be supposedly the tech support at your big company, but it wasn't your tech support at your big company. It was just someone phishing you. Um, and we're seeing a lot more ever before, especially on mobile devices or anything that has a smaller screen, the chances of you clicking on that link is way higher by like three times, by the way. I'm just going to pull out a comment or yeah, is a comment that uh, Mike Elliott dropped into the chat. So gamification in his mind, at least, is a system for giving rewards to people. So that's the points on the fishing scoreboard. That's uh, you've done this lesson in your secure coding training. Sorry, I had to change the acronym there in my head. Uh, you've, you've achieved these points. You've got a reward. You've done good. Games, on the other hand, are a simulation usually of some kind of conflict. And I'm going to call Nick in here for a slightly objective view, because otherwise I'm blowing my own trumpet. We've recently been running a few sessions of an experiment where we've been doing semi-competitive simulations of cybersecurity incidents based on turns with different teams who've basically got freedom of action. Um, and thinking about it, none of those have involved any kind of reward at all. There is no winner of those. We've also had some fantastic feedback that they're very good learning experiences, but I'm going to ask Nick to give his view because he's slightly more distant from it than I am. And then, uh, if the rest of you could give your opinion on whether that's game gamification and or useful at all. Well, first of all, I think Mike nailed it, which is why I was sort of in the process of copying and pasting that from the chat while, um, uh, while you were talking. Also, I think uh, that's spot on. Uh, like uh, other comments, and there's been uh, questions as well, like gamification is a way to encourage good behavior in your normal environment a game is a separate environment. A game is, for example, the exercise we've been doing, whereby different teams take the position of different organizations involved in a, involved in a cybersecurity incident. Some are management, some are technical. Uh, at least one group is the actual red, is the, the actual hackers, the people who've caused the compromise in the first place. So, and although James says there isn't like a reward scheme, there is well, there aren't victory conditions, which is something we, we need to discuss, is there kind of is because the practitioners know, the players know if they're doing well or badly by whether the incident is resolved or not. So it's kind of built in. But yeah, gamification is much more, yes, you got the spreadsheet filled in in time. Here's, here's 50 company points. A game is much more um, about a... A virtual situation rather than helping you through a real situation and can i just and chloe you're more than welcome to say this but i'll say it if you want you have two people on this podcasty coffee afternoon who advocate for hackers rights when you're talking about somebody who's breaking into shit when you're talking about somebody who's breaking the law or you're talking about somebody who's actually doing the wrong thing it's not a fucking hacker it is a criminal, an adversary. It is somebody who is basically on the other side of the fence. 
hackers, that'd be myself, mm. and probably a bunch of other people listening are the good people. Can we please try to use the right terminology? I, Thank dis you. I disagree. Well, no, I agree with everything you just said. Good. However, the term hacker means something different to everyone we're talking to and everyone we're trying to educate. So but if the we problem use... is the entire industry or half the marketing people in the industry and almost all the freaking media and get it wrong most of the time. So those of us that are hackers, unfortunately, get a bad rap all the freaking time. So I'd like it if our own industry oh, could have to figure the shit out. Right, I'm I'm going to jump in on that one and yes, no, no, sort, so it's, of, it's sort of put an end to discussion because I can, which is that a hacker is someone who uses something for other than its intended purpose that can be malicious or otherwise. Usually it's not because, frankly, everything has multiple uses that no one ever intended. An attacker is someone who attacks something. So if, if we go with attacker, malicious person, um, nation state whatever but no i'm i'm going to support the terminology of hacker is someone who uses something for other than its intended purpose and if anyone wants to argue that one i'll point you back to the first usage of the term right so moving on sorry sorry <laughs> making notes but yeah move, moving on definitely yeah moving on um there's an interesting question actually in the q a from uh, jason what would be the inclination of older text-based gamification, i.e. Scott Adams, against uh, modern FPS or role-playing game graphics and format? Now, my view of this is that text-based should probably include things like tabletop RPGs, where you're going much more uh, freeform interaction between people, but in a way it's lower bandwidth, much more pretense to it, whereas more modern games are much more visual, much more interactive, but also in many ways much more constrained. But if you're applying gamification to some sort of security training or any sort of technical training, which way would you want to go down? And uh, let's start with Mark. Well, we'd have to go back to Nick's talk about what's the difference between playing a game and gamification. If we're playing a game, I would think, and I've talked about this with my kids and try to get them involved. I think a text-based game is a much, much more mental task than jumping on a horse and riding through the landscape looking for zombies. I mean, what what is it? You're just in some kind of visual environment. Where the text-based game, you have to mentally see what you're going through, have to think and remember what you've got. You have to be taking notes. Everything that's involved with memory is activated in a text-based game. So if you're asking me, you know, what is more valuable for me if we could encourage text-based games as part of a learning environment, I would prefer that. Okay. Uh, Chris? I, I mean, so probably like most of us, I mean, we grew up with those text-based games and they definitely... It, feels like they made you think more you had to be more eloquent not on all of them but you had to actually you had to think you had to remember you actually had to write something down so it wasn't just what you were interacting with here it was actually you actually had to do something else as well you had to go backwards and forwards in something i'm inside the puzzle games so again if the more i can involve you and the more i can engage you the more i can actually get the gray matter working 
touch wood, the chances are the more it's actually going to sink in and you're going to think about it. So, yeah, I mean, if we can have something that interacts that way, I'm all for it. Uh, Chloe? Well, I'm going to take from the human brain perspective here is that you want whatever you're using, you need to stimulate the amygdala. And the only way that you could do that is if you have some sort of emotion attached to it. But also another thing in play with the amygdala is also there's this part in your temporal lobe called the hippocampus. And the hippocampus helps you with navigating. It also helps you with you processing um, information, GPS and whatnot. And so when you're retaining knowledge and you're trying to utilize that knowledge, you wanna make sure that both of those areas are reacting. Because the thing is, is that if you really want to put someone in a situation to know what is it like, for example, to experience a breach or whatnot, experiencing it, you need to also note that emotions are attached to that. So there's fear usually is one of those things. It's fear, it's chaos, it's anxiety, it's everything. And so the one thing you want to do is that if you're trying to get someone to learn how to react um, when there is a breach or whatnot, it's a to create almost exactly the same situation uh, because what you want to do is create an amygdala hijack in a sense. Amygdala hijacks happens when you are oversaturated with emotion and you're not having the ability to take a step back and think it through with the prefrontal cortex which is kind of like the CEO of your brain. It also is it's processing information for you and letting you know what actions to take. Um, the amygdala is completely subconscious, so you don't even know what's going on. But the thing is, the amygdala hijack, basically what it does is that it puts you in a moment where you're either going to freeze or you're going to react. And that's what gamification is all about. Games are trying to do is to get you to get to that moment because that's when they succeed in what they've created. If they can't do that, then it's not working at the end of the day. Okay. Uh, Mark, Nick? What I was to say I've got um, is as the uh, previous people have said basically is my answer is yeah get people um, well no there's it's only uh, it's just what's been said before is get people involved get people and um, I don't know something Chris was saying got me thinking about the gamer mindset people who've played a lot of games uh, video games or war games or especially uh, video games is um, video games and role-playing which is really logistics is you get into that mindset of how to deal with situations you have strategies you use i mean it might be every week it might be every day so then when you're involved in real world situations you fall back on the same techniques so your subconscious i assume uh, is so well practiced at those kind of procedures, you fall into them automatically rather than this is the first time you've had to think up resource allocation on the fly. It might be this is the 5,000th time you've had to do it because you did it for fun all the way through university or whatever. I think that's that's one of the main benefits of, of playing playing games this often. The other thing is that's worthwhile thinking about from if you look at game design as well, they don't start you. I mean, we've all played various different games. You don't get, you don't start off with like 24 different sets of controls. Like, okay, I learned this one. I learned this one. I learned this one. Take a step back and, and come out of the military mindset. It's that crawl, walk, run, dry fire, then live fire. 
you know, I'm not going to do live fire to brand new recruits because, you know, we'll lose half of them, which is a pain in the ass at that point in time. But if I spend a bit of time actually training you piece by piece by piece by piece by piece, when shit does hit the fan, you're like, okay, I know what that is. I know I can continue to focus. And to me, the gaming side of it and the gamification or whatever we want to call it for our industry, we almost need to do the same thing. We don't, we do in some ways want to throw people right into an incident but if we're going to do that, I want to make sure they've been trained up to that point. I don't want to throw people into the to the wolves, into the sharks, or to the lions, or whatever, without giving them a chance to have the right tools, the right technology, some training beforehand, so they know what they should and shouldn't do. I'm I'm going to say you're taking me back to the days when I used to teach martial arts, and we had four categories of uh, ability. You had unconsciously unable. You can't do it. You don't know you can't do it. You're not good enough to not know. You had uh, consciously unable. You can't do it, but you're aware of how bad you are. That's a start. Consciously able, you can do it. You really have to think about it, but you know how to do it right. And then you finally get to unconsciously able, which is you're not even thinking about it anymore. You've just practiced it so many times. Instinct. Yep. Yeah. We ran into that with uh, a perfect example would be two things. One, pent, uh, incident response. Um, we do a lot more now with tabletop exercises. I mean, you want to talk about how we've taken dungeons. Basically, we've, it's dungeons and dragons for industry. And it's really good because you get to role play. You're like, hey, let's have a conversation. What happens if this happens? What happens if this happens? And there's a couple of really good companies which are starting to do more of that. And it's really good because it brings people in. Rather than running a pen test where everybody gets pissed off because we're always going to break in, we're always going to embarrass everybody, we're always going to have a big-ass report, and there's always shit that's going to get broken. I'd rather come to the table with a bunch of people and go, let's role play for half a day, a day, two days. By the way, I'll bring coffee and donuts. Now we can all engage. Now we can all see what happens. Now we can all make mistakes, and it doesn't matter. And if you really want to have fun with it, you can always swap around good guys, bad guys, everyone else, so that it doesn't hurt when you keep on losing to the bad guys because when they're the good guys, they lose too because they've got a huge advantage. Mark, you were about to say something. Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons uh, that you asked me to be on here is because of several games that I have built to play around with. Um, and what I just wrote a note as we were talking, and I'm going to share a screen here as I'm talking so that people can see what we're talking about here. You're going to have to let me uh, share if you don't mind, James. Yep, done. Um, one of the things that I had created that actually Chris and I met over was something called the DevSecopoly board. And this was taking all of the major tools in DevOps and just placing it on top of a Monopoly board. But the concept was take something that people already know how to do and transform it into something else. And in this case, when I put this out here, I didn't know how people were gonna to react to it. Uh, by the way, the site that we're looking at here, I just, uh, I did a quick Google search before the call today to find the board because I haven't looked at it in a while. This is somebody else's site that I don't even know about. <laughs> he put this thing up here and said, hey, uh, and then when you look at the comments, look, I should be a millionaire by now. Everybody says, you know, take my money. <laughs> so one of the things that happened is this resonated with people. And Chloe might be able to give us some, some deeper background on this. But if you can find something that people 
basically know how to do and it resonates with them and then build on top of that, then you're already halfway through to where you're trying to go. Yeah, I mean, the one thing about games to make sure that it works for everyone is everyone has different ways of processing information and learning new things. So find some way to bring everyone to the table. So that means even those introverted people and extroverted people to be at the table at the same time to do some sort of act action would be, it's really beneficial, especially role play. Role play is definitely one of those things where you have to have, you have to do some sort of empathy to understand how this person is going to do what they do, how an attacker works, why are they doing this? Um, and that's the whole thing about role play. It's very similar to acting in a sense, is you're improving, but you have to understand the character to do well in that role. And so role play is one of those really beneficial things. James, is this the appropriate time to bring up the adversary cards where you and I met? Uh, I'm going to in a minute. I just want to okay. ask first because it seems like a natural time. Uh, how many people here, in, as in out of the five of us, have actually played a tabletop role-playing game or a live-action role-playing game? Uh, I'll go first to <laughs> bear blushes. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're all personally aware of the potential effectiveness and drawbacks of role play. But yes, um, adversary cards. I do a whole thing about threat modeling. And the first thing I bring into almost all of the threat modeling classes is about making it personal. So Mark, tell us about the cards, please. Yeah, let me pull these up. Uh, Chris, I don't think you've actually seen a final set of these. So this would be even new for you. Yeah. One of the things that... Um, I was at the, I, I run the DevSecOps track at the RSA conference in San Francisco and Singapore. And um, the people from Lockheed Martin were there and saying that they created seven adversary cards that described the adversaries that were trying to attack their system. And they literally made these things to hang on the wall to say, here's the person. So they got a, a cartoonist to actually draw a headshot of somebody. And they gave the attributes of the type of adversary that would be attacking the system. And I said, well, hell, that would make a really, really nice card game, wouldn't it? If we could actually get and create adversary cards and talk to people about specific adversaries, what tools are they using? How are they trying to break into your system? Why are they trying to break into your system? And then Chris jumped on board with that and did a couple of them. And O'Brien Reed did. We had um, Carolyn Wong put a couple in. So I actually built it so that people could go in and contribute an adversary. And, and when Didar was doing the OWASP thing, they said, some people suggested, why don't you do an adversary and defender card set? So you can do adversary versus defenders. There's always, always a way that you can expand the idea. But the simple form here was, what does an adversary look like? Not physically, but mentally. What does an adversary look like? And how would they try to break into your system? And James, from my understanding, you actually used a couple of these cards in your system. Yep, I use them. Um, I mean, I, I looked into something back when I was doing my dissertation called Persona Non Grata, which basically boils down to adversary cards, just a lot more long-winded. So I... Um, took the adversary cards and used them as an example of making it personal when you're looking at threats. 
because one thing we are very good at as human beings, and I, hopefully Chloe will back me up on this, it's entirely possible she'll tell me I'm wrong, uh, but it's relating to humans and dealing with humans and understanding human motivations, whereas an abstract hostile or an abstract attacker is much harder to try and work out what they might do. I agree completely, actually, on that one. So you're safe, James. <laughs> I feel very reassured there. But yeah, it's um, it's one of the reasons we're so bad at putting aliens in films. We, we can't think alien. We can only think human. Right, we do have some other questions. Um, so gamification is more, this is going back quite a way in the discussion, but is more making the work fun but informative rather than playing a game. Uh, Chloe, you've, you've spoken most about gamification that I've heard, so let's start with you on that one. I'm trying to reread re this one. Making fun. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, it depends on how it's made and also it depends on you and what things you're passionate about. So, Say, for example, if you are more passionate about like, I don't know, it could be various ways, but the thing is like, we're all learning differently. And that's one thing to know. If you're someone who has like ADD, you go into this focus moment, usually where you're just tunnel visioning. Um, and then those with ADHD, sometimes you have like, you could do, you're a multitasker of all things, which is awesome. Um, and that's the thing is to know is like, Every person thinks differently and processes information differently. But the thing is, is that how you get the general public to uh, get stimulated by the same game, the same way is a really, really hard thing to do. And so um, going back to the question, <laughs> um, say that it's supposed to be more fun for you. It's supposed to be informative too, to see where your weaknesses are or where your strengths are. Um, but it also puts you in a situation where you have to be in that situation. And we don't really get that unless it happens or an event occurs where we actually have that. And so I would say it's, it is still playing a game because you know you're playing a game. It's not life or death or it's not like, um, there's actually like a breach happening at the moment, you know, you're in a game. So it's hard to take away that part because your brain already knows you're in a game, unless you're deciding to fish your colleagues without letting them know ahead of time. They think you're actually a real threat or an attacker trying to get into their system. Um, that is when you don't know that there's a game. So the better way of doing these things is to stimulate as if they don't know they're in a game. If you really want to see your real reaction time, to be honest. Okay. Uh, everyone else. There's an interesting thing that's happened in the last two days here at the house. My daughter was trying to learn the names of the states. And so there was an interactive map on the net where you could go and it would say, here's a state. Uh, which name of the state, and then uh, click where it is on the map. Uh, when she first started, she got about 40% right. Uh, last night, she actually videoed herself and, and sent it to me 100% right in a matter of two and a half minutes. And it took her about a day and a half to do that. Chloe, what, 
what in, what was engaging her at that point? Why would she spend 50 times going through this thing? What's, where is the value proposition? It, well, the thing is that I feel like a lot of humans ourselves, our attention has gone like that. So anything that can keep us going, and I don't know how her brain processes information um, as the other thing. There are some learners that are more hands-on. There are more learners that are um, visual. Um, there are more learners that are all about text. And so it, it all depends on their learning patterns, the way that they function to be able to recall memory. Now, the thing is, is that those kind of games themselves, they're trying to stimulate your temporal lobe because it's, it's where you're processing emotion and also memory in a sense. And so what happens is the main, I'm assuming because I haven't seen this game or uh, where she went to to learn this information, but I'm assuming the objective way of doing that was to try to stimulate one part of the brain more, which is the hippocampus which is when your uh, short-term working memories are then transferred to long-term working memories. And so that's probably what I was trying to do was to stimulate that part of the brain a little bit more so then she's able to retain in a short matter of time um, the, into a long-term memory mode. Right, but why would she continue for the length of time to do that? There, there was no external reward. There's a little dopamine rush when she raised it a little bit. Yeah, I you have serotonin, um, but in reality, it depends on how you process information. Like she might be one of those people that like um, the way that it's set up in the layout, it, it grabbed her attention. It doesn't necessarily mean it'll do that for everyone. It just means that the way that she processes information is different from another person possibly. And that's why she used that. I know there's people that use uh, visual like flashcards, for example, right? Uh, flashcards are one way how to remember something. Oh yeah, yes, please share the screen with me. Okay, <laughs> okay, so I see this. So this is great actually, this is a wonderful way. Um, so I used to be a special ed teacher and let me tell you, this would help you remember things a lot faster. <laughs> because like um, a lot of us, I would say we're very much visual learners because uh, it takes in our memory a lot faster for some reason for many of us and so this is very visually, you're able to figure out which states are which and keep playing this game so you get 100%. And if she is a perfectionist, uh, <laughs> probably will keep going at this nonstop because she's like, I will get this done. I will get 100%. I want to get 100% because I believe I can do that. And so that's probably why she kept doing it was because she wants to get to that 100% mode. Um, which is very common when people find something that really grabs their attention. And once again, maybe she, she comes off from what I'm hearing more of a visual learner. And so this is one way how for her to recall with photos and having a picture memory associated with it. The, the, the interesting thing here and Nick and, and Chris, I'll throw it back. If you want to share that screen again, just to look at it. My strength is being able to look at something like this and apply it somewhere else. So that we could all have a discussion. Okay, we're here to talk about how do you create a security game or gamify security? Is there value in this approach? And if so, how? I mean, I'd say yes. I mean, no two ways about it. I mean, okay, let, let's take it in a different tad. Back to Chloe's point. I mean, do you guys remember when the Rubik's Cubes came out? 
And initially we hadn't figured out how to solve the stupid things. How many of us here, maybe how many people listening took the Rubik's cube to pieces so that we could put the pieces back in the right way? I know I did until I figured out how to actually do the stupid thing because I didn't want to fail. I don't like failing. I don't like losing at something. So for me, my drive is only partly learning the information but the biggest drive I have, which is why I don't play a lot of the online games, is I don't like losing. I don't want, I, I will not stop until I've won the game or beaten the game, which is why I will rarely play them because I don't want to get into that cycle, especially the ones where you click and you pay more money. It's like, nope, not doing that shit. I mean, it's, it's really true. Human behavior is that we don't want to see ourselves as failures because let's be real. I'll be real with every human being right now. We all have insecurities. Mm-hmm. And so, one of the things is because we have insecurities, we want to be as as possible on things. Um, and this drives us to wanting to have that in this impossible perfection. And so that's why it's definitely a drive to want to get a hundred percent. Like, you know, when you are uh, like studying for a test or something, you're like, I want to get that hundred percent. And then when you get like, let's say 98%, you're like pissed off because you could have gotten that hundred percent. But it all depends on like where you see is success and where it's not. But overall, humans, especially adults, we have like the most insecurities than like a kid. So we don't even want to deal with it because we can't even look at ourselves in the mirror to really see what are our flaws and work on it, which is one of those really bad things. Because if we never figure out what our flaws are and to try to make ourselves better, in return, we're just going to keep reliving the same patterns over and over, and we don't really learn anything new, in a sense. That's that's an interesting one, because um, along with tabletop role-playing, it's not something I often talk about, but I do live-action role-playing a lot as well. And one of the things that makes for a very enjoyable character there is being able to safely play up flaws. So being able to safely say, yep, yeah, I'm going to fail utterly at this because I'm awful at it. And it doesn't matter. It makes a better story. But when you're outside of a game setting, that's a lot harder and a lot more unpleasant to do. Um, Yeah. Okay. Right. Back to some of the questions. So um, firstly, going a a long way back, uh, Mark, your pop-up for you've done something new in Excel sounds apparently dangerously close to uh, Clippy, the Microsoft paperclip. It's got a problem with Clippy. (laughs) you know they were it was the first iteration of the idea of can we encourage people and the pendulum swung too hard i mean clippy was dead on arrival did did clippy annoy anyone who didn't know how to use the software already though i think so i think it was so demeaning Okay, so we go back to the Microsoft search dog whose name I can't remember instead. <laughs> that that got it just about right, balance-wise. Oh, I love Clippy. Clippy was my friend. Well, I'm speaking like, okay, I could totally see a degree in anyone if they are an adult using that. But as a kid, when I saw Clippy on the screen, I was like, oh my God, Clippy's in the house. I was so excited. Oh, you've I'm just reminded saying. me. Did are anyone else use Microsoft, Microsoft in Carter? <laughs> Ooh. The quiz game in Microsoft and Carter. That was yeah. brilliant. <sighs> right. Um, a question from Jason, and this is on the um, 
more negative side of things. So does anyone see gamification being used subversively? So a sandbox or containered activity as a live environment with malicious intent and how do we control the abuse oh, factor? Oh, hell yes, open Facebook. There's the I, period. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I think there there's a lot of, yes, a lot of the people who attack things do see it as a game and that's why they can do it because it's very divorced from the reality. But is there is there a way to control that? Uh, behavioral analytics. I mean, you can build out a behavioral analytics engine, but that's going to, I mean, that takes a lot of work and a hell of a lot of learning. Well, I mean, I, I want to go back, Chris, if we can just visualize these games in Facebook that ask you for specific information. <laughs> oh, I love those. <laughs> yeah, like... as if you don't know they're going to use this shit against you. Right. But we don't. People don't think that way. Again, it's a game. I want to partake. I want to participate. I want to be part of the crowd. I want to be part of the cool people. I get a little badge for it. And I've just handed over my entire PII data. I, I want to know what Disney princess I am. I, it's, it's a question that's <laughs> on my head. I just got to know. Am I Belle from Beauty and the Beast? Right. <laughs> how, how do you feel about books? Love books. Yeah, probably oh. Belle. Yeah, yeah, no. My my nickname in school was Belle because I would I was a weird kid. I just wanted to be in a book and read and sing out loud. I kid you not. I sang it was it was back in the day, elementary. I would sing on the, the playground, I'd pretend I'm reading a book and I'm walking and singing the songs from Beauty and the Beast. I was a weird kid. Okay, a uh, couple more. There's um has anyone played the board game Pandemic or Pandemic Legacy? Not yet, but I've heard such good things about it. Right. So here we're talking about, this is quoting the question, here we're talking about gamification in the professional environment. And what about games in the outside community, children, families and friends who might gain insight and experience? Thinking specifically about Pandemic, which does actually offer, and I can vouch for this, some insights into managing a pandemic in terms of trading off different areas and only having certain numbers of resources. Um, so it offers some insights, but it's a general market game. It's something anyone can pick up and play. So is there a aim? Actually, I'm going to point at um, Potato Pirates uh, into the Spudnet here as well, because that's a game which is actually all about network routing. Is there a point in building games which are actually just fun off these mechanics which are really useful to learn? You know, I, I think so. And I, again, I've, I had some examples to bring up. I don't know if you guys know Colin Watson from um, OWASP, but he built an OWASP Snakes and Ladders game. The idea that you can take a game that... Uh, Chris, I don't think you've seen this one before, have you? It's... I've, I've actually seen it directly from him. Yeah, he shared it. I'm like, this is freaking... I, I, he sent it to me, and I circumvented the system. He's like, you're a pain in the ass. I'm like, I know, but I love you. <laughs> but the idea, I think, I've related to James's question. This would be a fun family game to play. Every family already plays it from the age of three to six. And so in this case, what you're doing is you're imparting security information into the game itself. Um, you know, Colin also did something called Cornucopia, which is, and you've seen the, what's that deck that uh, Microsoft made? Um, I forget uh, what 
elevation of privilege and elevation, elevation of privilege with privacy. I've got uh, both of the decks <laughs> in the uh, game room. So I think that's answered your question, James, because if we can create games that have the knowledge embedded within them, and there are already games in the sense that we know how to play, we're just imbuing it with new information. Uh, I think it's, uh, yeah, the answer to your question is yes, it is useful. So I'm, I'm reminded of something that I um, came across recently, which was attributed to David Knuth and may or may not actually have been said by him that it's very, it's much easier to enjoy a job than it is free time. And I'm going to carry that across to games because in a job, you have clear guidelines, you have clear goals that you can achieve. So you can definitely do well in free time. There's no structure. You've got no idea if you're doing it right or not. The moment you bring in a game, you're introducing that structure. You're introducing those sorts of goals. Chloe, you're interested in the brain. You, you can probably talk about what happens when someone achieves a clear goal as opposed to just uh, spending some time doing something. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, I think, so the percentage of companies that have some sort of like, I'm gonna talk a lot about breaches because that's all I talk about these days. But the one thing for sure is uh, about, I think it was about 74% of companies still to this day don't have any plans when it comes to anything, when it comes to security. So 74% of folks are running on ad hoc or they have plans that have expired. They're no longer useful. And then those that do have playbooks, one out of three of the playbooks are actually, things are very much out of date. And so one of the things to think about is like, if you wanted to really try to create some sort of strategic plan in a sense of how to defend yourself when you are dealing with a breach is to run through scenarios with people. Um, once again, it's all about triggering your responses in your brain. So your temporal lobe needs to be in there completely. So there has to be emotion attached. There has to be a thing that you need to have, which is timing. So you want to push timing very out there. This is like, you want to try to replicate as much as possible. And the more interactive it is, the more hands-on it is, it's going to be beneficial for people um, in many ways. Okay, so on that interaction, uh, Nick, I'm going to ask for your opinion on this one. When you're, because you've got experience in that sort of wargaming, not necessarily cyber, but general wargaming, when you're looking at getting people engaged, when you're looking for interaction, how important is their degree of freedom? How important is their ability to make a choice rather than just between I choose to do this or not do this or choose to do A or B to be, I'm going to do this where it's more open-ended? Is that important? Does it engage people more? Uh, definitely engages people more. It. The answer is kind of it depends. It depends on what you're trying to achieve and what stage they're at. As Chloe said, like so many people know, so many people have, uh, I was going to say have so few plans or don't have plans. You want to give them nice, simple choices based on their real environment so that they can see things don't work and they realize how bad that is before a breach happens you want to learn that you need to have a playbook on the tabletop you don't want to you don't want to learn it in real life i mean the point um chris said earlier is on a tabletop if you fail it doesn't matter if you fail in the real world it's entirely different it's not quite as drastic as a live fire exercise 
but it could be the same kind of implementation for your organization as to whether it keeps going or not. But also for, I mean, especially the kind of things we've been running, more involved war games, more involved uh, simulations where people can make a variety of decisions. You want them to understand the variety of choices they've got. As with a, a role-playing uh, game, the engagement from I can do anything in this open world gets people much more involved in the system in the same way in an incident response exercise. If people realize they've got so many choices, they become so much more engaged rather than sort of a standard PowerPoint training slide of here's four options on the screen, pick the right one, and then we'll move on to the next step, then the next, then it'll be lunch. Um, that it's, and it's that, it's that uh, possible variety of outcomes that gets people really interested in the exercise. So open is probably good unless you're trying to get them to learn a particular lesson that you want them to learn. Yes, and it's, <laughs> It's it's a I mean I realise it's a real half answer, but it's it kind of it depends. Yeah, if there's something simple like here, this is right, this is wrong, um, then keep it nice and simple. But apart from that, give people a wide range of choices, and they they become so engaged. You think you've got to sell people the idea of getting involved in this training, and in the end they'll be they'll be more involved. I mean, usually if a training war game goes well people are complaining that the day is over. People are complaining that they have to go home. Um, people don't stop over lunch. It's always a good sign that things are going well. If people, rather than sort of it, right, it's 12.30, it's one, everybody stop. The free lunches arrive in the side table or the side room. If people are still discussing and still at least kind of playing, you know the exercise is going really well. So back to Chris's earliest one of his earliest points then, uh, get donuts delivered, get pizza delivered, because people, if you're doing it right, will just be running the whole way through. Oh, yeah, you can't stop. Or, pe pe or people won't want to. Or if half the people leave the game to go get something and the other half, half stay because they brought lunch or whatever, then they've got an unfair advantage. So that, and it's that, it's that kind of planning that makes all sorts of uh, a difference how an exercise runs. Okay, so an open question to all of you then. I've worked in a reasonable number of different companies over the last couple of decades. Um, I have never come across any sort of tabletop scenario exercise, tabletop reenactment, exploration of service, failure, anything like that in any of these. And they're not small companies, they're not amateurs at this. What's the obstacle that's stopping this sort of approach from just becoming massively widespread? Because I've, I've been to game conventions. I know how big those things get. What's stopping that from making its way into the corporate world? Uh, open question. Whoever wants to jump in first. It's I'll, too... I'll... Oh. No, go on. Go on, Chris. So I'll jump in for a second because I've run a number of them at some fairly interesting companies, both domestic and foreign. Um, and I think a lot of it's just awareness. It's an awareness. So it's two things. One, it's an awareness that it's, it's an option. And secondly, and probably more importantly, is there's no tick in an auditor's check sheet to show that you've done it. There is, got a pen test, got a tick in the box. Did run a tabletop exercise, no tick in the box for that one. I don't get any, I don't get bonus points for it. That's it. 
So you you say that, but I know that there's ticks in the box for have you done your disaster recovery? Have you done your business continuity exercise, which can be a tabletop exercise? Rarely is though. That's it. And I think, yeah. and again, the problem is it's done once a year. You get a few folks sit down once a year, which is which is useless. I mean, that's you now the reason I'm dealing with the wiser stuff is every single month we're putting new stuff out. The stuff that I love with Mark on a regular basis. Same thing with Chloe on a regular basis. We put stuff out. And it's short shit. It's like 30, 60, 90 second stuff. It's stuff to just spark and keep people inspired. And to me, the tabletop is, I mean, you got a pen test, you're going to spend, you know, a lot of money potentially on this thing. Take a 10th of that money, go drop it on coffee, tea and donuts, put it in the table, run it once a month and have some fun with it. Make it something that somebody can actually engage in. They can learn from, they can, have some, they can learn who those people are. This is social engineering 101, let's face it. Yeah, you want to just make sure your employees just feel like you're investing in them because if you don't they're like <laughs> so that's one thing it's gotta you have to provide recognition to people you have to invest in them even just giving them donuts or like treat them for lunch once a week oh my god do you know how much that changes the security team they're like oh okay you appreciate me thank you i feel a little bit loved now and that is one thing to think about you know, it, it reminds me of how it used to be, you know, for the old timers is once a month, we'd all get together for a poker game. It was just something, you know, Friday night poker game, everybody bring a beer, bring the cigars, bring whatever, and just come sit around the table. And the idea seems to have kind of disappeared. There are role-playing games or there are societies built around it now but it's very, very segmented. I would love to help spear, spearhead a movement within this industry where there would be a game that was engaging enough and exciting enough that we could actually get together 10 people in an environment like this and actually play the game. Because what's missing and what, what I see is missing is, is, is how do you measure the reward? If you want enterprises to buy into what we're trying to do with games themselves, you have to figure out how is the enterprise, how is the business going to measure the value of sponsoring something like this? Yeah, and I think the measure, the value is the big one. It's, and part of that comes down to risk, risk mitigation, user education, user awareness, user training, and there's ways of doing it. Um, uh, you look at what Evan and Ryan are doing over like security studio and stuff like that, where they're actually helping helping people to understand and measure risk. It's there, but it's not an easy, you know, Jason, Jason and I are talking online at the moment while we're doing this. And he's like, Hey, I'm totally up for doing this. If we can actually put it in a, in a punch box and we can build something. He's like, yeah, let's, let's do it. And I'm like, I'm all for it. I mean, I think everybody here would be in for it as well. I'll, I'll be GM. It's fine. Um, I, I actually worked for a company for about a year who they they paid for a group of their staff to take a meeting room every Thursday evening, got a pizza in and they played D&D or we played D&D. Right. And yet that was D&D fantasy game where it could have been something related to the business and you could have gone for pizza and a couple of beers instead put a little bit more in and there you go. That's your cybersecurity awareness training for the month ticked off. 
but I'm I'm down for a um, infosec game club. Well, I would say, I mean, we got five brains here thinking about this. What would that game look like? You don't we- tell the players it's real. Like that's not real. Like that that is the goal. If you want to make a game that actually is like full on, we want you to recall everything and to know where your weaknesses are and everything is not letting them know they're part of a game and that this is actually a real life experience. If you really want people to recall things because the motion is attached to memories. So when I was saying earlier about trying to recall memories and everything. So with games, it's supposed to stimulate your hippocampus, which takes once again, short-term memories into long-term memories. But if you have an emotion attached to it, you're gonna recall it. So the thing is, we want your amygdala to be threatened. We want it to set off and we want it to be like, oh my God, this is actually happening right now. What am I going to do? Because the reality is like, you could be at the world's, well, we'll take baking. Let's take baking. You could be the world's best baker, right? But then say someone puts a TV on you or it's a competition suddenly. Suddenly you cannot, you're messing up completely on everything that you're doing because there's a new element. And this element is, yeah, you've trained and you're amazing at what you do, but now there's this element of fear and failure that's now part of the situation and you act different. So even if you train completely, you know everything to do about everything at the end of the day is you also have to keep your emotions in check. And that's the one thing is like, we're not robotic, we are humans and we have emotions and we have behaviors and we don't know what we're going to be like when we're in that situation, unless we're in that situation. And that's how you know whether or not what you need to do next time when this happens in real life. So then you're able to have more of a reality check of how you will react in a sense. I'm just going to ask about that. And then I think uh, probably about time to wrap up after that. But you mentioned earlier about timing and keeping time pressure on that's come up a few times. And then you've mentioned about emotional involvement. Now, because I've done far more live action role play than is probably healthy for me, I know that the time pressure and the immersion in it, I'm I'm perfectly well aware my life isn't actually threatened. I'm perfectly well aware my actions will have no significant consequences, but it's been incredibly emotional in those times. And there's sessions of live action role play that are burned into my brain far better than real life events are. So does it have to be that you don't tell people they're in a game or can it be that you push them to the point where they forget in the moment that they're in a game? So I think games are really good to have practice and play, but also to know the landscape of what it would look like to have a kind of an an idea of what they're going to be facing especially if they are playing like a role play game and they're playing opposite of what they usually are um, because it allows them to have to think um, what it's like to be in that person's shoes. So when they need to do a communication, um, when there's a breach, a lot of times things take a very long time to fix because there's a lack of communication. At least then you know how to communicate to another team member because you kind of had a moment where you were in their shoes to a certain degree. Um, But it is true, the more realistic, the more that you don't know you're in a game, it's better um, to have a better idea of how you're going to react, how your team's going to react. And I'll give you a really good, uh, like, I guess this is what I usually like to tell people. We all have dreams, right? Now, the the whole thing about whether or not you have dreams um, and you recall your dreams is another thing. 
However, chances are you probably remember your nightmares majority of the time out of all your dreams. And there's a reason for that is because in that nightmare scenario, your emotions were set off. So when you have extreme emotions of like fear, sadness, um, you're able to actually recall it completely as much details as possible because your body is not your body, but your brain is trying to put you in survival mode. So you remember everything. So if this were to occur for you to remember it, so your brain is constantly setting you up to know what it will be like if you're in that situation. And it is a role play. So every time you're dreaming, it is a role play usually, but it's a role play that you feel like you're in that moment. Like you actually are living and breathing in that moment. So when you wake up, you know, oh wait, I might react like that if I do that. And so that's one of the things about dreams is that it puts you in the situation, the state of mind where you're in it, you're in that scenario completely. So you recall it. So whenever there's a strong emotion attached to any memory, chances are you're going to recall all the details more. You're going to recall the feelings with it. You're going to, you're going to feel the sensation in your body of the emotions that happen in that moment. So that's why you remember your nightmares more than your regular dreams. Right. Um, Chris has to get on the road in the mobile office soon. So I'm just going to suggest um, closing statements, then we'll take it off the stream and we can continue if people want to stick around having a general chat about this because I really want InfoSec Games Club or CyberSec Games Club to become a thing. But closing statements, just a few sentences each. Let's go anti-clockwise. So Nick, uh, games, valuable, yes, no, what should we do? Uh, definitely valuable. Uh, there's lots to discuss. Uh, I, by chance, stumbled across professional wargaming about 16 years ago and was astounded that it wasn't used everywhere throughout business because it's such a good idea and teaches us so much. I've sort of given up. I've been optimistic about professional gaming being used in cybersecurity more than once, tried to introduce it more than once, um, become disheartened and given up more than once. But the fact that we're having this kind of conversation and this year and this, the crises we're all going through makes it feel different that this might, it, it sounds a bit like, you know, this is, this is the year of Linux on the desktop. It's like finally organizations are going to war game and they're going to make better decisions. But I'm more optimistic this year than I've been over the last, like I say, 16 to 20 years. Uh, Chris? I'm going to keep it simple. Uh, I think part of, you know, part of the frustration probably from Nick's standpoint, maybe even from Mark's standpoint and the number of folks that I've seen in the industry, we've done a lot, but it's not been cohesively coordinated. You know, everybody, I mean, there's some amazing ideas, but the problem is we all go off and do our amazing ideas and we try to bring people together. My preference would be is that we bring all those amazing ideas under one freaking roof and we do it in a cohesive way. That way, it isn't one team going off and doing one thing, somebody doing something else is done effectively. And, you know, from Chloe's standpoint, we bring somebody in. I mean, I love the escape rooms. I think they're fantastic, but that doesn't scale in such a way that we need it. So it's like, okay, how do you, how do you get the brain moving effectively and then bring in everybody else's ideas to that? So to me, I'm all for it, but I want it done in a very collaborative and comprehensive cooperative way. Mark? Well, Chris, you're ringing my bell there, right? <laughs> Pretty much. 
Yeah, I All mean, right. this is the way epic failures in DevSecOps started over a beer in Singapore. Yeah. Um, I think that what you said is, is really astute in that ideas, we all have a hundred of them a day. That what is missing is that cohesive center that brings it all together and says, this is the place that you come if this is the type of information that you want. So I think with the five of us here, it's a, it's a good start of a core group. If we would like to lead that kind of initiative, uh, I would be extremely excited about participating in something like that. The idea that we would have a central location, our different networks all going to the same place to get this kind of gaming information and the games that we could provide will help. It would be fantastic. So uh, I'll leave it at that, that um, let's say that we're going to do something and kind of work it out. And Chloe? Uh, ditto to everyone what they said. <laughs> collaboration is the best thing and having a good collaboration is where you get all these different mindsets in one place to create something amazing and incredible. And so it's so important to collaborate with one another. And that's one of the things about gaming teaches you, collaboration and also uh, bringing your background to the table, which is important. Everyone has a different background and we act differently, we think differently. And so the more different mindsets that you have in a, in a project, uh, a better way that it can be utilized by many more people than just one type. Okay, and just from my side, I, I don't think there's enough gaming in the world. Uh, I think there's a lot of superficial games out there, but there's not enough proper narrative gaming out there. And I think it's immensely valuable if we could just convince everyone of that. But on that note, I'm going to say good night to everyone watching on the various live streams. So uh, wave good night to them. <laughs>